The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. The formula is simple. I get it done before I leave New York on Monday morning at post in the afternoon and on the back end, an extended discussion with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico about topics from the day that was. We taped that on Sunday night. So I'm going to talk about a few things. Got a few thoughts. Going to answer some of your questions, and then I will let you hear what we discussed last night. And I'll tell you now, it was one topic and one topic only, and it was all Odell Beckham Jr. So I don't have anything to say about OBJ because most of it will be deferred to the discussion we had last night. It's a good discussion, some good thoughts from a guy who's been in a locker room as a player, guy who's been in a locker room as a player and a coach, and a guy who's been broadcasting and reporting on the NFL for 25 years. So good insights and good thoughts on, on how that Beckham interview came to be and what the fallout may be for the New York Giants. For the New York Jets, no negative fallout because things went well on Sunday. They did not go well for the Denver Broncos. I want to start there, and I want to praise the Jets for really having a great game, one of their best games of the year, maybe just a little bit below that Monday night win over the Detroit Lions. But for the Denver Broncos, who started 2-0, and now they've lost three in a row, and they had one of those ugly losses where the defense felt lifeless, the offense felt inept. At some point, you have to wonder, will they try Chad Kelly, the last pick in the 2017 draft, a guy who would have been drafted a lot higher if he hadn't had a couple of serious injuries plus an off-field issue. And he leapfrogged Paxton Lynch, got Lynch booted off the team, and now Chad Kelly in striking distance to be the starter. At some point, Vance Joseph, the head coach of the team, is going to feel, I think, desperate for some sort of a spark, for something that can turn the team around because Joseph is getting closer and closer to the firing line. He almost lost his job after the 2017 season, not just because the Broncos underachieved, but because they had so many blowout losses where they just kind of gave up. And that's what yesterday's game felt like. Another one of those 2017 games where they just kind of gave up. And after the game, Joseph said, coaches coach and players play. And I don't know, is he trying to throw some blame on the players? Bottom line is coaches get the players ready to play. Coaches ensure the players don't give up when things get a little bit out of control. And this was a team that was seven or eight minutes away from being 3-1 and one less than a week ago. They blew the game to the Chiefs, and now they've lost on the road. A game I thought they were going to win. I thought they were better than the Jets. I thought they were, even though short week, traveling you know, from Kansas City back to Denver and then to – oh, no, they were at home. They didn't have to do that. But they're traveling from Denver to New York. I, I, I still thought they'd win, and they didn't. And – Remember this. This is one of my favorite stats. The Broncos haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since the early 70s, and they're now 2-3 and three after starting 2-0, and oh, and that may not keep Vance Joseph employed beyond the end of the season, if not sooner. And they may have to go Chad Kelly in order to turn that around. The Atlanta Falcons are 1-4. and four. Are you kidding me is what Arthur Blank, the owner of the team, 
had to say about that. We can't erase the last five games. We have to make adjustments. That's all you can do. Start out next week and act like it's zero and zero. Nobody wants to hear any excuses. Nobody wants to hear any stories. That's the nature of this business. And look, yesterday's game was really the first convincing loss by the Falcons, 41-17 to the Steelers. But you have to wonder what changes will be made by that organization if the Falcons end up being last place in a very competitive NFC South. Two years removed from getting to the Super Bowl, a year removed from uh, making it to the final eight and giving the Eagles everything they can handle. Will Dan Quinn be in trouble? And look at how bad the defense is. They, they gave up 24 to the Panthers. That's not horrible, especially in comparison to what we saw yesterday. Then 43 to the Saints, 37 to the Bengals, 41 to the Steelers. That's a lot of points to be surrendering, and that does not reflect well on a defensive-minded head coach. And I know they've had a lot of injuries, but coaches say injuries aren't excuses when it comes to the players. Next man up needs to come in and get it done. How can they be excuses for the coaches then? And, and the mindset is you don't want anyone to treat injuries as an excuse because then you just say, okay, well, this is why we stink and it's no big deal and we don't need to try as hard as we used to. So the Falcons need to keep trying. They've got the offense, although the offense got shut down yesterday and the defense looked as bad as it's been all year. In Dallas, Jason Garrett, coach of the Cowboys, now 2-3. and three. I think at some point he's going to be on the hot seat, especially now that we've seen a disconnect between Garrett and team owner Jerry Jones. Garrett defended the decision to punt on fourth and one from the Houston 42 in overtime. Garrett said, well, it was a long one yard. Jones said, look, we were getting badly outplayed. You needed to take some risks in that spot. And if you go for it and you don't make it, you have faith in your defense that it's going to stop the Texans' offense. And he had maybe a little too much faith in his defense that it would pin the Texans offense deep in its own end and force another punt because what happened was the Texans took it down and they won the game. And it's always, look, you're always going to be criticized. And the problem is, and I've said this a time or two, if you do the conventional thing and fail, you don't get criticized. If you do the unconventional thing and fail, you do get criticized. I don't know what's really conventional or unconventional, fourth and one from the opponent's 42 in overtime because it's becoming more conventional to go for it. That's another guy, though, that needs to be concerned about his status with the Cowboys, especially if this this inconsistent win one lose one track continues and they end up eight and eight or seven and nine or even nine and seven. If they miss the playoffs, that may be the end of the road for Jason Garrett. Mike McCarthy is the end of the road coming for him in Green Bay. Look, I I know that that every year at this time for the past I don't know how many years I've been saying that Mike McCarthy is or at least should be on the hot seat, but at some point it will happen. They've reconfigured the front office enough where there is going to be real account- accountability for Mike McCarthy that being competitive, being a contender is just not good enough when you have one of the great quarterbacks of all time. So that is something to keep an eye on now that the Packers are 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They got outplayed, outcoached, out everything by the Detroit Lions on Sunday. There are too many mistakes, too much faith in Mason Crosby, Aaron Rodgers not moving as well as he needs to. And as Chris Sims says, the offense that the Packers run is very basic. It's very understandable. It's easy to scheme against it, and that's what Matt Patricia and the Lions did. So now 2-2-1, two, two, and one, tied with the Vikings at 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. The Packers are going to have to win some games, and they've lost some games that you would think they should win. And I think that's what becomes concerning, losing at Washington, losing at Detroit. Those are the games that Packers, years, Packers teams of past years would have won and possibly won easily, and they need to get back to that, or maybe there could be some major changes. I mentioned the Vikings at 2-2-1. Two, two, and, and, you know, 
I, I, I went two and one in the best bets this weekend. I took the Broncos plus one and blew that one. Steelers giving three, that worked out. Vikings getting three, that worked out. I thought the Vikings would win that one straight up, and they did. I think the Vikings really needed this one from the standpoint of simplifying their defense, which they did. It was too complicated. They were trying to be too cute. They just need to trust the fact that they've got better better talent on their side of the ball than the offense typically has on its side of the ball and just unleash those guys. And it worked on Sunday. Even though the game ended up being closer than maybe it could have been or should have been, they were up 20-6 to and they let it fall apart. We've seen that from the Vikings way too many times the past few years. They held on to win the game. I think it was a huge win. It was a, it was a psychological victory for the Vikings after losing in such ugly fashion to the Eagles last year in the NFC Championship game. And traditionally, the Vikings have had a very tough time against the Eagles, a tough time in Philadelphia. This was a big win that puts them in position to win at home this weekend against the Cardinals, unless the Vikings team that played the Bills shows up, and then win at the Jets the following weekend before showdowns with the Saints and the Lions going into their bye week. So 4-2-1 and one going into that Saints game is a real possibility. And then that Saints game, a huge game for a team that could still maybe position itself to get a bye. I don't think there's any chance of getting the one seed after losing to the Rams. There's still a chance to get a bye, though, because the NFC East wide open and underachieving. I think that if the Vikings could end up with a better record than the Saints, then then that's what it will take to be the two seed in the NFC. All right, some questions to answer before I let you hear what Rodney, Tony, Mike Tirico, and I had to say last night. Ed Adarm55, do you see any big trades happening before the deadline this year? And that deadline's just three weeks and one day away. And we rarely see big trades. I think Le'Veon Bell would be one to maybe keep an eye on because the Steelers haven't tipped their hand on what they plan to do with him once he comes back. He's coming back next week. At least that's his plan. The Steelers will have a window of a couple of weeks to trade him if they want to. I just don't know what they plan to do. And my understanding is they're considering all their options. They're considering what they could get for him under those various scenarios, right? Trade him now. What could you get for what would be possibly a partial year rental of Le'Veon Bell by some other team? And I know there's plenty of talk in Philly about maybe the Eagles looking at Le'Veon Bell. I don't know how real that is. But is there a team out there that looks at him as a guy who would be a good partial year stopgap with no guarantee of keeping him beyond this year? And what would you give up to get that guy? Then there's the possibility of letting him leave next year as a free agent, getting compensatory draft pick consideration in 2020. And also, a fairly complicated procedure, but it could work. Transition tender on Le'Veon Bell. Let someone sign into an offer sheet and work out a trade. Match it and trade him to the team that signed the offer sheet. It's allowed under the CBA if he's on board with it, and that's going to be part of the challenge. Will he be on board with it? Could they work that out, or could they be stuck with a long-term contract with a guy that they wouldn't have given that long-term contract to? But they'll be able to use the transition tag. The tender won't be a crippling number, but it doesn't give them anything other than a right to match. But they could work out a deal where they match it and they trade him, and uh, if Le'Veon Bell's on board with it, that possibly could work out. Stephen Wise, 89, do you believe Odell Beckham Jr.'s public comments are intentionally testing a new head coach? Do you agree with Pat Shermer's response? Would Odell Beckham Jr. have the courage to test Bill Parcells in a similar way? If so, how would he respond? I don't think Parcells ever would have given Odell Beckham Jr. a long-term contract. The thing about Parcells, he can size you up in five minutes. And I think within five minutes, his verdict on Odell Beckham Jr. would be, I can't trust this guy long-term. Now, I think Pat Shermer, understanding the value of having a great receiver, and I, I, I also think that he, 
he accepted the challenge to placate this guy. And we suggested today on PFT Live that that maybe Shermer got through to Odell Beckham Jr., convinced him to be all in for the offseason program, convinced him to be all in for training camp preseason, not hold out, be part of things, get his contract. And once we get to the regular season, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the days of Ben McAdoo anymore. We're going to win games. Here's how we're going to do it. And now they're they're one and three, now one and four after yesterday. But the interview, the the, the comments that he made, I, I, just, I feel like if they obviously if they won more games, it wouldn't have happened. But I think Shermer sold him on a scenario that didn't play out. Sherman Shermer wrote a check that that the Giants so far haven't been able to honor, and we'll see how that plays out this week. Short week, tough game against Philly. But uh, I don't think that he did it intentionally. I don't think he's testing the coach. I think maybe he's looking at how the Giants have played and Odell Beckham Jr. is thinking, look, this isn't what Shermer told me. And, and uh, you know, he, he essentially, not I'm not going to say made promises, but I think he sold him on a way things were going to happen and they didn't happen that way. And I think maybe Odell Beckham Jr. frustrated because of that specific reality. He showed up. He was a good soldier. He did everything that was expected of him. He got his contract. He didn't push for a trade. He didn't hold out to try to maximize his earnings. He's leaving dollars behind for cap purposes, et cetera. I think he expected the team to look a lot better, to perform a lot better, to get him the ball a lot more the first four weeks than it did. Another question relating to the trade deadline from Adam Nanini. What surprise move trades do you see before the deadline? Do you think it'll be active time for teams one thing that we we often see and this is where the Patriots get involved the idea of uh trading for guys in the last year of the contracts because then you get to evaluate them for the rest of the year and if they leave the following year you can have them factor into the compensatory draft pick formula that's uh, that's something to watch Patriots trading for guys in the final year of their contracts especially receivers although after Thursday night Julian Edelman back, Josh Gordon getting it done. And I think that throw to Josh Gordon from Tom Brady really shows how much confidence Brady has in him. Maybe they don't need that, but the Patriots have shown how to work that system. Give up next to nothing for a guy. Keep him for a while. Decide whether you want to keep him. And if you don't, you get compensatory draft pick consideration on the back end. Birdseed wants to know, with officiating being called into question so often, could future NFL TV negotiations include non-compete agreements between networks and active NFL referees to keep the best guys on the field instead of in the studios? You know, that's a great question because I know that there is concern among some people in the league that, that the NFL isn't paying its referees enough. It's not valuing them sufficiently. We've had that conversation as it relates to the VP of officiating function. Dean Blandino himself said that he doesn't think the NFL values that position the way that it should. And when TV can offer better money and really a better gig, you don't have the same scrutiny. You don't have uh, you know the, the, the same physical risks of being out there among a bunch of guys in their early 20s who could literally kill you if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I don't mean to be morbid by that, but it could happen. You could get seriously injured or worse in one of those games. I think that the best guys are always going to have options. And and it may not be that, you know, it's kind of like a lifetime gig for Blandino and Pereira at Fox, Terry McCauley at NBC, Jeff Triplett at ESPN, and Gene Steratore at CBS. They may want one of the you know, freshest guys. They The networks may decide, well, okay, after two or three years, we're going to try somebody else. So they'll be constantly luring some of the best referees. And at some point, the NFL is not going to be happy about that. So, you know, for, for all the things that, 
network partners do to tiptoe around the NFL, and it does happen from time to time. It's natural. They're a partner. You want to have a good relationship. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's been no qualms by Fox, by any of the networks now, to take referees away. I mean, Fox went in and took Blandino. When they set the job up, they specifically engineered it for Blandino to be the guy who handles the replay review, and it was all set up to run through him. And on the brink of that happening, Fox comes in and signs him away, and the NFL couldn't keep it from happening. And, and a lot of people, I think the cynics out there, would think the NFL would be able to do it. They weren't able to do it. And who knows? Maybe they'll try to do that in the future. I don't know that you need a non-compete agreement. You just need to be willing to put the arm on the networks and say, don't touch our guys, don't take our guys. We, we need to have these guys because they're the best officials we have. Easiest way to ensure that, though, pay them more money. Apple one two three Apple eleven. Would the Patriots Patriots have gotten to the Super Bowl as much if they were in the NFC? Maybe not the last few years, but overall, yeah, I think the Patriots are still going to be the Patriots. Now it helps to be in a division where there's no one to challenge you. I don't know. You could argue that if they were in the AFC West, the AFC North, the AFC South, they wouldn't have been to as many Super Bowls because I think running roughshod over those three division opponents. And beefing up your record and putting yourself in position to be a one seed or a two seed, that's one of the reasons why they've been to so many Super Bowls. Black 88 Elite, who is better, the Chiefs or the Rams? I would say the Rams because the Rams have balance, although I'm troubled by the fact that the Rams have given up 31 points in back-to-back games. The Chiefs were impressive defensively yesterday, but it was against Blake Bortles. And impressive has a caveat. They gave up 500 yards, but they made big plays when they needed to. Three interceptions of Blake Bortles with the Jaguars moving in to score. And Quade Chowdhury with Hopkins Madden-like performance last night against the Cowboys. Do you think Jerry Jones has the message that Dallas needs a number one alpha receiver? I don't know. I think a lot of it is denial from Jerry Jones. And I I think he feels compelled to double down and and dig in. And I think that has a lot to do with it. But uh, they, they seem to be locked on this idea of making it work without a number one receiver. We'll see if they feel that way next year when they have a chance to sign somebody or draft somebody. All right, I probably should wrap this up uh, because i got to go get my flight and I've been cutting it too close in recent weeks. So, before I go, here's the part where you can hear Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico, and me talking in depth about the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. It's about a 10 to 12 minute conversation. Hope you like that. We will do PFT PM Tuesday. I'm not going to make any guarantees beyond Tuesday. I don't know what days I can and can't do it this week, but we'll definitely do it on Tuesday. And uh, we'll be talking about everything that happens throughout the day on Monday, throughout the day on Tuesday. Monday Night Football should be a good game tonight. I like the Saints, but don't count out Washington. They have been surprisingly potent this year, and they're 7-2 and all-time at the Superdome. Have a great Monday. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Here we are at the set of Football Night in America. Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico. Little Wayne sends his regrets. He had some <laughs> travel issues today. What a day it was. And it gets started. We're in the viewing room watching the pregame shows, and we see this Odell Beckham Jr. interview. And my goodness, had you seen anything like that? No, I was actually, um, you have to be weary of the media. You have to understand what their job is. A lot of times, guys like you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get information. You're trying to poke these guys. And Odell Beckham, I was very disappointed because he doesn't understand the impact that he has. He doesn't understand how powerful his presence is in that locker room. And for him to say the things that he said about his teammates, Coach, I completely disagree with him. Yeah, I I did not understand it. To me, uh, you're very frustrated. We all understand that. In those times, you have to be extra careful. Mm-hmm. And you can't go to the media and let out your thoughts. And then talk about everyone else but yourself. 
we're all about winning. All I want to do is win, but talk about the reason why everybody else isn't coming through to allow the Giants to win. It was very disappointing. You always want to hear an athlete give you the honest answers as opposed to the canned stuff. I think those of us, you say guys like you to Mike, guys like us, always want to hear that when we talk to players, especially star players. But what damage does it do to your team? And if those things weren't covered in your locker room, why air them in that form? It, it bothered me that Beckham, you know, and of course, the interview's about you. He mentioned himself 120 times in an eight-minute interview. That's part of the problem. There are so many guys. Why can't Eli get him the ball downfield? Do you think Pat Sherwood doesn't want to get Odell going deep downfield? The offensive line doesn't give him the time to. This is the ultimate team game, and this was the ultimate individual conversation that was had that I don't think helps the team just from on the R and R side on the outside. And one of the things that drives me crazy is when that excuse is given to a guy. Well, he was just answering the question he was asked. You have to be able to work your way through potentially mm -hmm. treacherous waters and know how to answer questions without saying things that make you look bad. And if the Giants didn't have confidence that Odell Beckham Jr. could do it, why are you making him available? They surely were aware and involved in this, and, and they were okay with you it. You think they were? I don't think during the season you can pull that off without letting the mm, team know about I, it. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes you can circ circumnavigate the public relations channels and go to a player, and you know if they have other relationships with Lil Wayne was there. You know, I don't think the Giants helped set that up. So perhaps he was able to. They were able to do this outside of the auspices of guys, the Giants. This, this, let me just say this: This is the point. If you don't have anything positive to say in the media to about one of your teammates, you shouldn't say anything at all. And that's what coaches always would tell us. Mm -hmm. You do, and you know, you guys hit the nail on the head about honest answers. But that's my pro if those were honest answers. That's not a good light. That's not. He's not putting himself right. in a good light if he honestly believes that he's not getting a chance to do what he can do because other guys can't perform, because the coaches don't have a good plan. But what benefit is it going on a show and talking about your uh, teammates? Oh, it helped, him, it helped him today. He, he yeah. claimed responsibility after the game. The I know, game. but yes, they he, showed he, heart he, and effort he, and no, grit. It's all about his big Rodney, numbers. Walk, walk us through, and Tony, because we haven't been in locker rooms. Walk, walk us through the situation of a guy's not happy, he's not getting the ball enough, he's frustrated. How, what's the proper channel for the team to handle something Mike, like it's that? no different than us being on set. If I have an issue with Coach, if I have an issue with Mike, I'm going to pull Mike to the side. I'm going to pull Coach to the side, and we're going to try to work out those differences as grown men. I'm not going to go to another radio station or something like that and try to air out Mike Tirico. I'm just going to talk to you, and hopefully we can come to a resolution. If we can't come to a resolution, then we have to agree to disagree. No, but I'm no. not going to air anything out in public. We got any yeah, issues okay. that I don't know about? Are we okay? Yeah, you're just getting a little gray. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I was a head coach for 13 years. Every year I started out the very first meeting. You lay down the ground rules, what you expect. And, and one of the things you say is, hey, if you have an issue with anything that's going on, with coaching, with the game plan, come in, talk to me about it. We'll get it resolved in here. If you have an issue with something with your teammates, you talk to them in the locker room. It doesn't go outside to family it doesn't go outside to fans it doesn't go outside to the media it's all handled in here we keep it in here we can resolve and Tony it did anyone work. do that in India or in Tampa always your team? They would absolutely do that. Okay. absolutely if you got a problem come see me and what's amazing to me the bigger picture here if he didn't want to be with the Giants there's a way he could have played this out and gotten out 
of New York. Khalil Mack got out of Oakland when they didn't want to pay him. You could do something to voice your displeasure privately and get out of there, but he signs the contract I I, and commits. I don't think it was, it was the fact that he wanted to get out. I think when you invest that type of money from an organization standpoint, you want that guy to be all in. If he's not your leader, at least he has to be more of a positive influence in that locker room. And we saw Sterling Shepard, you know, pouting, throwing helmets and doing things like that. He has to understand the power of his celebrity whether it's outside the locker room or inside the locker room. But that's what they were worried about, too. That's why they waited to pay him. They were worried that once they paid him, he was going to get worse. Well, that was the the consternation leading up to it. And then he got hurt last year, so it tabled the conversation for a little bit. It's an interesting spot for Pat Shermer. You have to handle New York. It's your first time in this situation as a head coach in New York. The team is now 1-4. and You play the Super Bowl champs who are a little bit desperate because they're 2-3 and on a short week on a Thursday night, and you've got all this bubbling up. Just having grown up in New York and watched coaches deal with the media, because it is different. You have seven, eight newspapers, the columnists, the beat writers there. It's very competitive. I thought he did a really good job after the game of just trying to cut this thing off before it could fester even deeper. And I think they benefit from the short week, too, because it's not like the players are going to have a lot of opportunities to talk to the media and vent. They have to focus on getting ready for Philly. they still have to answer questions. And that's the the one thing that coaches... The talking point always. Coach Belichick used to always tell tell us, don't allow, don't say anything where your teammates have to answer questions about you. And now that's the challenge. Can Pat Shermer get the teammates to keep the wagon circled. So far, it feels like he's pulled it off, but they're traveling back from Carolina. They re- I think a lot of the guys, they know he apologized on Saturday night, but they still don't know what he's apologized for. Once they see what he said, they may feel differently. Th- it can definitely right. linger on to Thursday night when they play. Well, we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll see if they can get it under control, and we'll see you all next week. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.